This week, I'm chatting with my friend and fellow podcast host, Hillary Ray. We've only known each other for a few years, so most of our relationship has transpired during the pandemic. We're neighbors who share similar values, and we even support the same CSA. Our CSA, or Community Supported Agriculture, is through Taproot Farm, a family-owned farm in Berks County, Pennsylvania. Each week from June through October, we get a box of veggies from the farm, which we pick up at a local shop near our homes. All members get the same variety of veggies each week, and yes, this requires a lot of creativity in the kitchen. I've sent some recipes to Hillary that I've really enjoyed, and I'm happy to share those with anyone who needs to know what to do with beets, dandelion greens, or pretty much any vegetable you can name. It's been in the box at some point over the last six years. When I checked in with Hillary this week, I asked her what she did with the abundance of cabbage. She said she and her partner made a bunch of dumplings that she was able to easily freeze, but unfortunately, if I were to go that route, I would also have to make my own gluten-free dumpling wrappers. I'm not sure if I've got the time to make homemade dough, but I'll come up with something. Not to mention, my freezer is full of homemade soups I've made from all the other veggies. But the good news is, I am set for lunches for months. In this episode, Hillary talks about her monthly virtual meetup called the Speak Up Session. It's a free gathering for entrepreneurs, leaders, and changemakers craving a communication style that aligns who they are, what they do, and what they stand for. Check out her website or sign up for her newsletter to get the latest information regarding dates and times. Her November meetup was this past week, so make sure to join in December. We also discussed Hillary's decision to leave social media at the end of last year, and amazingly, it has actually improved her business. It gave her more bandwidth to focus on other outlets. She took a leap, and it paid off. Very inspiring. Thanks so much for listening, and enjoy the following episode, Have I Got Some Stories for You with Hillary Ray. My guest today is Hillary Ray, founder of Tell Me a Story. Um, how are you doing today, Hillary? I'm good, MG. I'm excited to be here with you. I am, I am so excited for this as well. Um, we'll we'll dive more into Tell Me a Story and what what that's all about. Um, you know, I always start off by talking about how we met. So you and I met through some mutual friends at a networking event in the summer of 2019. And at the time, you were looking to for like some alternate options for venues for your workshops. And you had been, you know, kind of committed, I want to say it was like your office space, maybe, or another space that you had been using for quite a while and just wanted some creative options. So we met for a real coffee. So I have not met someone in person for coffee in a very, very, very long time. Uh, You know, I feel like the the buzzword now is virtual coffee. Um, But we had a really, really nice conversation and realized we're, we're neighbors. And as we would start to become, you know, better friends, uh, both personally and professionally throughout the pandemic. Um, you know, we've just kind of really been a support system for one another and ultimately led to getting to work together, um, at the end of 2020. Um, you know, so we'll dive more into that later, but can you tell me more about, tell me, tell me a story and your whole business model. And then also you had mentioned, uh, you know, you went through a major shift because you did so many in-person workshops and it was a lot of like in-person face-to-face and you yourself shifted beyond the venue with your business model. So tell, tell me more. Yeah. Well, I think back to that. We met on a rooftop of a WeWork in Center City and it's just so funny to think back to that like, yes, yeah, summer of 2019 because everything to me was in person. Like, 
events. Like I went to comedy shows and and storytelling nights and network, so many networking events. I worked with all of the people I work with in my company, which I'm happy to talk about more um, in person. And so just to like, I have that vivid memory of like meeting you on that rooftop, drinking some sort of complimentary cocktail that I think was given to us and just like really clicking and connecting. And then, yeah, going to like our local rival brothers and there being like other people sitting around us that we knew and everyone was kind of talking to each other. Um, I just really miss that sense of community. So thank you for bringing that up. But yeah, so tell me a story has been around since 2011. So in May of this year, 2021, we celebrated 10, I, not we, I celebrated <laughs> 10 years of live storytelling shows in Philadelphia, which is how it started. I was telling stories on stage and was finding that the really the only uh, performances or opportunities in Philadelphia were competitive. And I would do that, but that wasn't like, I didn't want to win a story slam. Like that wasn't why I was doing it. I was so passionate just about expressing who I was in this telling stories from my life format and like two rooms of strangers. And so friends of um, friends of friends were opening a coffee shop called Shot Tower Coffee, which has also been around for over 10, almost 11 years. And so it was right at the inception of that coffee shop too. And Marielle, one of the co-owners, I knew her, not her then boyfriend, now husband, um, socially, but I never knew her. And she had an idea for a storytelling night. And so we got together. I put a poll on Facebook for the name. Some of the other options were like, shut up, please shut up. <laughs> like things where I'm like, I'm so glad it's telling me a story. And I don't even know who suggested it. It was like one of those things where people could suggest. And I went with it. And I would say like a couple years into doing these shows, I started teaching workshops. And it was more for people that were just like, I want to figure out how to like what stories I have to share. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like I had a teaching artist background, like mostly teaching little kids theater and singing and, and dance and acting. Um, and, but I was, and I also had spent a year teaching in Japan. So I was like into teaching. I liked doing it. And so I kind of just like kept saying, yes, like, yeah, I'll have a workshop. And then people came <laughs> and then I just started developing my own methodology that was just pulled from like all different aspects of my life. And I just said, yes, yes, yes. And I got to a point where I was more passionate about helping other people find their stories and tell their stories than I was about telling my own on stage. So I would host the show, but I wouldn't really tell stories there. And then I would really like, all I wanted to do was teach people and like work with people one-on-one in groups. And so I like wrote a business plan. This is like in 2015, 2016. And well, actually it was in 2015 because at the end of 2016, I just was like, okay, I'm done my freelance teaching artist career slash like cobbled together six different jobs to live. <laughs> and I was like, I really believe in this. I've like, I know that I have something to offer and I went all in and we met at a WeWork, like WeWork gave me free office space and it really just felt like a timing of like, oh, I just was offered an office for free. Like, let me do this full time. And it hasn't been like an easy ride, but this was like at all, <laughs> but I'm so glad I took the leap. And so, yeah, now I, I work with clients that are mostly like people like you that <laughs> run their own businesses have a podcast or are curious about going on other people's podcasts or starting a podcast. And then I also work with a bunch of 
um, clients that are leaders at large companies and they just want to step up their leadership and like do something different, knowing that it's harder to stand out in those corporate environments. And yeah, pre-pandemic, my whole model was local. Like I worked primarily with Philadelphians <laughs> because it was all in person. So, yeah, and I just you know, never... you're not you're not traveling across the country. <laughs> well, I actually was traveling across the country. I was doing a lot of like not a lot, but I did like keynote speeches at conferences and I would do stuff. So I was like doing stuff, but I but I always was just like, well, my clients will be in Philadelphia. Like I just like never thought beyond that. And so, yeah, I like and I had all these group workshops and it was all about like finding where to do them. And so as I developed them, I was using, yeah, like conference rooms that we like, we work had like very, it's funny now. Cause I feel like it probably looks so dated already, but like, it was like high design. It was like being in like an anthropology or something <laughs> so, like they had like nice conference rooms. So like I would do that. And then I sort of outgrew that. And then I used this place called the broad on Midland which is funny because it's on. Yes, 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 yes. And it's, <laughs> it's basically um, like a rentable third floor above a dentist yeah. office yeah. that, you know, you can host parties. So I, I did, I think you might've connected me with the owner and he's just did. like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> he yes, was completely he burnt it out. <laughs> it, it's, you know, we own the space and I, he was just done dealing with like party after party after party and just yes. dealing with people. Um, so I, yeah, I, I would not be surprised if he either sold it or. I think, well, his dad is the dentist of the mm -hmm, dentist office. Like, mm -hmm, I think he's just like mm -hmm. a, a tried and true Philadelphian. It was like a hydroponic garden for a while. Like there was like, it's been a bunch of different things that that guy tried. I think he also runs a bread company or co-runs a bread company. I think so. Um, but yeah. I, yeah. So I did that. And then fireball printing, which is like this really great like actually they have clients all over, but like printer, like I do all of my, like, well, I was doing like posters and postcards, all the physical things for physical outside other venue things. I use them to print yeah. in a thousand, uh, uh, postcards, uh, yes, I did that in, too. <laughs> in January, February of 2020. So those are sitting in my basement. I remember throwing mine out. I like took a big recycling. I remember recycling them in the big stack, but, um, yeah, they had a really beautiful, space and they had a bunch of like conference workshopy rooms that they were renting out as like supplemental income but it was all the way in Kensington it was just hard but anyway i'm now fully virtual because of the pandemic i had to go beyond the venue and i had to also go like mindset wise beyond the venue cuz i really believed that like i teach communication and i i truly believe that like there is an energy exchanged, like an actual tangible energy exchanged between an audience and a speaker. And I was like really set in my ways that there was no way to replicate that virtually. And I was proven otherwise because I was forced to. And now I'm like, you didn't have a choice. <laughs> no. And now I'm like more passionate about virtual, like doing, like working on the skills and developing the skills virtually to then like, like in person, it will just be like all the more like transformative. So yeah, I have like, I work with people all one-on-one -on -one now, whereas before I was groups, I work with people all over the world, which I just like never even set that goal for myself. Cause I don't know if I really like, I just don't set like big, I mean, I have like, I'm ambitious, but I don't set like world goals, <laughs> but that happened. And um, yeah. And I work in my home office, which I like never 
thought I would ever like working at home. And I actually love it. And it's, it's, it's crazy to think about too, because, um, you know, as we got to know each other, you know, we knew each other for about a year before I got the chance to work with you and did that kind of like a first, um, I think it was like a, what, a, maybe a week long commitment. Um, yeah, we first, started with like the, the brainstorming, brainstorming session mm-hmm. and it worked out so perfectly because, you know, obviously 2020 was a very rough year for me professionally. Um, had some, you know, great experiences being able to do the elopements and micro weddings, but it still wasn't the year that <laughs> obviously anybody anticipated. And so when I kind of had this opportunity that you were marketing this brainstorming session and you were just saying all the right words. And I'm like, this sounds like exactly what I need right now. And I was able to do it remotely that my husband and I were actually, um, you know, we're working remotely in Maine for a couple of weeks and um, to be able to have this nature and this space and have the chance to work with you that I, I thought that that was kind of, that's it. And then you had reached out to me again uh, in November and said, you know, I'm kind of offering a special for clients who have done the brainstorming situation. Um, you know, you're interested and it's like, okay, I, I, I'm not really sure if this is the right fit for me. And then I read like all of the things that this, you know, full intense one-on-one workshop is supposed <laughs> to bring out and it checked all the boxes. And that was also at a time when events had been completely shut down again in mid-November and not knowing when things were going to reopen as far as, you know, weddings and private events. So I'm like, okay, I, you got me, I'm, I'm in. And it was (laughs) such an invaluable experience. And so thinking about if it would have been in person that I'm curious, did you, cause what I loved is being able to have recorded our conversations via Zoom and forcing me to go back and watch myself on Zoom. So, you know, listeners, that's how I <laughs> you hear me talk about Hillary Ray in the process and working with her a lot on the podcast, because had I not had that experience, I don't know if I would have had the confidence to listen to my own voice and, you know, project, tell my stories. and. I'm curious if the in-person, did you have recordings that your, your students, your clients would go back and review? Is it, what, what was that process like? Yeah, that's a really good question. So when I did group workshops, no. And, and really, I for a while thought that it needed to be, this kind of storytelling work needed to be done in a group so that when you are like, Cause they used to be like full day. My workshops were like full day experiences. And so like by the end of the day, you have the story essentially that you're worked on and and it, it's nowhere near where it gets to in the one-on-one work that I do now, but it, it gets to a place where like, okay, I can give voice to it in front of people. And so I, I believed like, oh, great. If we do this together, then everyone has a room of people supporting them. And yes, I know that that was like a like a positive experience for the people, but there was this element of like performance or Mm -hmm. like inauthentic, like inauthentic or veiling or something where it was like, because there were like, it was so focused on the other. And so what I find, and I'll go to the back to your question about the recording in a moment, what I find working one-on-one, and I did have a handful of one-on-one clients in person too, is that there's no like pre-censorship or like worry about like what 
the outcome of it is going to be. So when you get and you have your story and then you are ready to tell it to an audience, you trust yourself enough that then you can trust your audience too. And you're like more likely to communicate authentically. And so with my coaching clients that I had in person, I had an audio recorder. So I would send them audio files, but they wouldn't have video. And I think video is like what you said. It's like both, like body language, expression, and voice, and what you said. And that it is always part of the homework I give people to listen or watch back portions of the sessions. So it's so helpful. A really good I, point. <laughs> and especially... It was a good reminder too that like even if I'm having not the best day or you know maybe ate something I shouldn't have the night before mm-hmm. that when I'm not feeling my best that that didn't come through on the video that you know I would I, I think there was one day that that we had met and I just wasn't wasn't my tip top and you're like I didn't even notice and watching the video I'm like I didn't even notice either mm-hmm. like I never so. I don't know. Maybe it's this award-winning smile that just <laughs> no, de- I mean, probably. But also, it shows like that's like proof that whatever's going on in your head, like when you're like putting yourself out there, is such falsity. And like the video back, and even like when you try to remember how things went, like your memory plays tricks on you. So like having video proof of like, oh no, like I actually feel really good about this. Maybe I'm just being hard on myself, or like. And are we always anyway? I mean, we're always our own worst critics mm-hmm. and judging ourselves way harsher than anybody else ever would. And so that was another awesome thing to come out of this of just get over it and mm-hmm. <laughs> just power through. Yeah. So the, the timing was great because you and I finished working together. I guess technically like the workshops we had finished in December, but I was still able to work with you over Voxer for the next month. Yeah. And... So in December of 2020, when Daniela says, do you want to host a podcast? I'm like, I am prepared for this. Yes. <laughs> I can do this. So it was great to just kind of have this set. Because again, you know, winter events going to be happening again. Mm-hmm. I've, I've got spare time. So the, yeah. the timing just worked out. And, you know, you, I liked how you were saying before, you just kind of kept saying yes, yes, yes. And that's kind of been my momentum of the last couple of years, it's sometimes the universe is just like, Hey, you need this, do this. And it'll bring you to Mm -hmm. the next step and just keep, keep on moving forward. Yeah. And I would say, I think I do say yes. Like if opportunities are presented with me, but I would say I'm, I've always been the kind of person that like creates my own opportunities. And I don't know what it is that like, even as a kid, like, let me think that I could do that. But I'm really grateful for that, too, because I feel like an only child, right? Is that? (laughs) But I don't like, I mean, yeah, and I went to like a hippie school and stuff. But like, just even thinking like, I don't know, I had a zine, like a music zine in high school, like a printed, I had like five issues. And like, I somehow and this was like pre internet, I think, (laughs) or like, there were like message boards, but I like, would at like 16 get like a press pass for the TLA and like interview the bands that I like. And I was all set up in advance and like people like record companies bought ads for my scene. Like I just don't even remember. I don't remember selling ads, but I must have had to have done it. And I must have had to have set up the interviews. I was the only one doing this. I had a PO box, like all these things. Wow. Entrepreneur from the very beginning. I think like that. I always try to think back too. And even in my storytelling of like, yeah, those kinds of moments of like, that inform what I do now, even if I like, hadn't necessarily made those 
connections before. That's awesome. Well, so you also host your own podcast. Um, can mm-hmm. you tell me more about your podcast, where it came from, and mm-hmm. what it's all about? Yeah. So my podcast is called Rashomon. There are three seasons and I think actually it's complete. So something I'm trying to figure out is like, well, what podcast is next? Like, do I want <laughs> another one or do I just want to help people with theirs? Which is like something that sort of ends up happening when I work with people. Um, I think we were brainstorming. I think we're coming up with an idea for a podcast for, um, we, we do the same CSA, the same community oh, yeah. agriculture. So, <laughs> you know, sharing ideas about how to use your box of vegetables in a chopped style format. Yeah, I would get bored with that. I wouldn't be bored talking to you, but I would be bored as the <laughs> listener. <laughs> and then what do you do with the months that are, I guess you just take a break the months that there's no CSA. Um, but yeah, so I have a podcast. I won't say had because it still exists. It's still there to listen to. And actually, I like when people listen to it now that it's just complete because people can listen to it at their own pace. But it's called Rashomon. And it really came actually from a single live storytelling show that I did in 2015 uh, for a now defunct festival that was called $5 Comedy Week. And uh, the premise was all the shows were $5. It went on for a week. But the people who presented the shows, it could be, it had to be like a one and done. Like you could have, you actually not one and done, but it never could have been done before. So they were like new ideas, one-offs. Some of those kinds of things went on to be regular shows for some other people. Like my partner has a show that started um, or had a show that ran for years that started there. But anyway, I had this idea to to have a family tell stories on stage about like an experience they all had together, but you hear each person's perspective. And when I had the idea, my partner, TJ, was like, oh, you mean Rashomon? And I didn't know what Rashomon was. And it's a film from the 50s. It's a Japanese film where the story was told four different times from the four different perspectives of the characters. And then that movie, you know, won a lot of awards, but was also like in film history, like groundbreaking as far as the storytelling style. So that storytelling style has been used both cinematically, but also like in group therapy and couple therapy. Now they like study the Rashomon effect and all that. So anyway, I had a live show. I put out a call for families, uh, uh, and now like really good friend of mine. And we were acquaint- more acquaintances at the time, um, but we had gone to high school together said, oh, I think my family would be really into this. And we started brainstorming together on the phone of like, okay, like, is there something you all experienced together that you think would stand out and like be the story? And we were on the phone and she was just like rattling off all these things. And in my head, I'm like, no, it's not uh, like, these are all inside family jokes. Like, I don't think this would work. And then casually, she's just like, well, my aunt accidentally stabbed me at one of our Passover dinners. And I was like, that's the story. So we did it. And it was just one of those things where like, it was her, it was my friend, Rachel, her mom, her dad, and her aunt, the stabber, as everyone called her. But there were like 25 people that were there. And this happened when she was like 13 um, or 14. So she just became more curious of like, oh, I want to hear what like my grandfather said or my siblings or my best friend. So she just started recording all these phone conversations. And I feel like we held a phone up to a computer. Like we didn't have a a recording equipment. We were just like, and in 2015, you know, thinking back even then, it's like what we have now is not (laughs) like what was available then too. But we made all these audio recordings and then we played them in between the live stories at the live show. 
And I had this like backstage light bulb moment of like, I want this to be a podcast because I had been listening to podcasts and, and, but I didn't know, like I knew how to tell stories, but I didn't know how to make audio. So I then like over the next couple of years, I like learned audio documentary. I like did a program at Duke university. They have this wonderful place called the center for documentary studies. And so I was back and forth between Philadelphia where I live and Durham, North Carolina, which I love. Oh, you went physically in person to Duke university. Yeah. To the center of documentary studies. They did these like month or week long intensives. And so I started with one. I, I got a fellowship actually from this place in Philadelphia called the independence foundation. So they gave me a grant. So I took like a month off. I paid, I was like able to pay myself. I got all my equipment. I paid for my travel. I paid for the program. And I just like had one of those like life changing weeks. And so I like signed on for the two years. So yeah, we had a couple virtual classes and actually that's like the first virtual learning I ever did. And it like worked really well. So I think that gave me more confidence when I moved virtually into like teaching virtually but I went two or three three times each summer and then once or twice in the winter for two years. And then I graduated in May of 2018. And my graduation project was season one of my podcast. And oh, so, great. Okay. Yeah. So that's like I worked on season one while there like with me- my mentors that were there. And I had a mentor from this other organization I was a part of. Um, and so every episode was like a different family telling every side of the same story. And then for season two, I just wanted to do something different. And I put out a call for families and this woman, Emily, reached out and I had never met her. She, I guess, listened to the show. I don't even remember how we found each other or, yeah, I guess she had to have listened. But um, she said, I have this large family now because I like my, I have two moms and they used a sperm donor and I found all of these and it was like pre-sperm bank, but she was like, I found all my siblings like when I was in college. Um, and I think maybe we would want to talk about that. And I was like, great. So I talked with her and then she helped me coordinate. And 15 interviews later, I wow. made almost like an entire season about these families and about the sperm donor too. Um, so that was like a really challenging experience, but fun. I like, also, I will say with all of this, um, wasn't making money from this because it's hard to make money from a podcast. I was very passionate about it, but I was also spending like 40 plus hours a week on this on top of trying to run a business. And I like do not recommend that <laughs> for anyone listening. It's, um, it's a lot of work to do a podcast, but the yeah. work that you're doing and the documentary certification, that's a whole nother level. <laughs> it was crazy. And I just like had really high expectations for myself because my influences were like this American life and like you know, all of those things. And that was like the world I was trained in. And so I even had like a network of people in that world. And I was like, well, I can do this by myself, which (laughs) is crazy. I remember because I I had asked you if you would be a guest on season one and you're I'm in the middle of, of season three of my own podcast. I was like, girl, I understand. Yeah. And I completely understood at the time. Now, hearing your story about how much work you put up. Wow. So I, I, I completely understand and I'm just very excited you were able to join me for season two. Yeah, I know. I'm really glad. And I'm glad I set that boundary for myself too. But yeah, so for season, for season three, so, and this is why I've ended is that I did a whole season about my stories and my family stories kind of, 
it started as like a COVID project where I had found this book I had written when I was 10 and I had changed the names of all the characters, but it was like stories. And what was weird is some of the stories in this book that I wrote as 10 were stories that I ended up telling on stage, like at tell me a story shows and things. And I was like, whoa, that's so weird. I like didn't even remember that I wrote them in this book when I was 10. And now I'm doing them like 20 plus years later on stage. So I had my parents record voice memo reactions to like, I recorded the book as an audiobook, and then I sent them chapter by chapter and they recorded like their interpretation of like what those stories were to them. And it was fine. Like, I think it was just like, my parents were maybe worried about how they sounded. Like, I remember my dad like read from a piece of paper the first time it was like very obvious. And I was like, okay, maybe this isn't going in my head the way I like thought this would. So I started like experimenting with like, okay, well actually like what perspectives do I want to talk about? I want to talk about the stories I tell myself, the stories other people tell about me and the stories I choose to tell other people about me, which is in alignment with the work I do with Tell Me a Story. And so it kind of all came together. And then I could do this like kind of audio memoir thing. And I made it super, I was like, I also want it to be simple. I'm not going to like interview 20 people. And like when you edit like 20 people in an audio editing, it's like, 20 tracks and like it looks insane. So I I simplified, but it still did take a lot of my time, but what is really cool is I did find a way to like connect it back to my business. So it was like an art project that also was connected to my business and I put little like sponsor ads in it. Like I sponsored my own podcast. Um, <laughs> but that actually really worked. People reached out. Oh, Rashomon is cool. sponsored by Tell Me a Story. Season 3 was. Yes. So there were like little ads at the end. So that wrapped up. Oh, and I also did like interview. I was inspired by shows like yours and shows that like, I really like as a listener to listen to like long form chatty interviews, even though I like to edit stories, I like to listen to chatty interviews. And so I did four episodes at the end that were all chatty interviews, or for the most part, but then I got all of the people I interviewed to record themselves reading things they wrote as kids. So it like tied it back together in a cool way. But I finished it in June of 2021. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> Let's enjoy um, the rest of the summer. Yeah. So I'm done with Rashomon, but I'm not done with audio. I'm like very passionate about podcasts. And I'm also very passionate about, yeah, like helping people find their podcast voice, I guess. And uh, that's what you did for me. And I, I really appreciated what you said about kind of how you, how Tell Me a Story came to be, because it's very, very in line with where I am, you know, with MG, the venue specialist that, you know, you kind of have these passions and you have these strengths and you, you just want to help people by utilizing your strengths and talents. And so, you know, there's always that ultimate goal. And with your clients, it's always going to be a different goal in mind of what, you know, they might not even know what the end goal is. They just know they need help. Um, with me, like I, you know, you, I feel like I project pretty confidently, but when it comes to really putting yourself out there, it can be really terrifying. And so I, I think for my feedback with working with you with the one-on-one -on -one workshop was it, it kind of felt like business therapy <laughs> and kind of getting over that hump and just letting it all go in the moment and, yeah. you know, less prep, more presence and just being being there and listening, which again, it's funny, like now that the clients are starting to roll back through as people are starting to, um, uh, you know, book weddings again, that 
I've been, I, I finally had the idea to start recording my Zoom uh, consultation. So not the initial conversation, mm-hmm. like not the free half hour consultation, but once a client books with me that recording our, you know, deep dive where I'm asking them a billion questions that it is so helpful to, you know, have my checklist. So I am asking them all the questions, but I am able to be more present um, because I can record this and go back and watch it later and make my notes that way. And so kind of similar to your experience of going beyond the venue, like I never in a million years in 2019 would have thought like, okay, my consultations will be um, virtual moving forward, you know, because you do have that like in-person connection and being able to read body language and things like that. But, um, you know, having the ability to record and go back is, is very, very, been a very, very helpful tool. And I was cracking up because it's almost like a podcast because it is a conversation. And so, you know, maybe I'll have that conversation with clients down the line of, you know, being able to use their audio clips and things like that from the recordings. Well, yeah, we'll see. Who knows? Do Who you knows? share the recording with them too? Like if they are like trying to remember what you talked about or is it internally for you? It's internally for me. I mean, I am definitely more than happy to share it with them if that is something that they would like to review. Yeah. Um, but they, you know, I guess they haven't asked. Interesting. It's also, you know, it's kind of, you pick up pieces along the way of like, okay, I need to make sure that I remember to do this next time. And one of those pieces was actually having a lot of conversations about social media and Mm. having like portraying my clients on my own social media. And so asking their permission of, is it okay to, you know, take pictures of you on site visits and, you know, after, if it's a wedding, you know, sharing your wedding day pictures on my Instagram, on my website, um, just, just to make sure that even though they did sign, you know, my contract that says, you know, I'm allowed to use their likeness. I feel like in talking to some other entrepreneurs that it is better if you just kind of have that conversation just to highlight the fact that, okay, if I blast you all over social media, you cool with that or not. And and so speaking of social media, which is just a bane of my existence, it just gets to be so frustrating. And my head is exploding with reels and TikTok and I I can't even, but I... I'm constantly jealous of the fact that you had made the decision what last year to to phase out um, mm-hmm. your Instagram because it it was no longer serving you. And so how how did you come to that decision? And you know, are you experiencing any FOMO at all? I <laughs> mm, <good laughs> or is question. it just I don't miss it at all, and it's great to be be off it. Yeah. Well, one thing too that's coming to mind is like you asking like consent from the people you work with for that kind of documentation is like, we learn that in documentary school, like that you create your own set of ethics, but it shows so much integrity too. So I just had to point that out. To well, you. thank That's you. Great. I consider myself to be filled with integrity. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So in July of 2020, I just like had an internal meeting with myself, <laughs> like business owner, me, like life me, like all the me's. And I was like, Hey, I don't like Facebook and Instagram. And I find I'm scrolling and I'm like raging out because of like combo things, like a lot of like 
behaviors that for me and the way I was handling COVID and like being very like overly like cautious of everything, like just seeing people I know behaving in ways that then it was like making me angry and like taking up, um, uh, this woman, Shanta, who I've gotten to know in the last couple of months always says like, no one's paying rent to be in your brain. They were, they were squatting in my brain. <laughs> so, it was time to evict them. Yeah. I needed to evict them. And then also just like the other side of that is like all of the like really beautiful, like social justice and anti-racism movements that I was seeing form online. Like I was so grateful to like see that, but then it also for me felt like mental health wise, well, that I wasn't like doing enough or I had to like show people that I was like anti-racist, like actively like anti-racist and like all this stuff. And I was like, I just need to like do everything one step at a time. Like this year, like my business was broken. I was like still trying to get on a pandemic unemployment assistance. And like that happened in July, like everything just kind of came to a head of like, the world is falling apart and the internet is stressing me out or the social media is stressing me out. And so I just like, I didn't delete anything. I just like made a choice. I was like, as tell me a story, I'm not going to post anything. And I did a little Facebook, but it was mostly Instagram. I also didn't want to be in any Facebook groups. I also like just started to feel conflicted about Facebook as a company. Oh, couldn't agree more. Like all this stuff. So yeah, I like went quiet, I guess. And I would check a little bit. I have, I had this one Instagram account that was that I had set up as like a burner account that I didn't <laughs> I didn't post I have I've always had this I never posted on it but I used it to follow like celebrities and influencers and people that I liked from YouTube but I wanted that like separate from friends and stuff so like I kept that actually but eventually I actually stopped I stopped that one too but then I made the decision like end of year 2020 I was like on December 31st I'm like hitting delete on Twitter. Instagram and Facebook. I had four Twitter accounts, four Instagrams and three Facebook pages. And then my personal account, cause I had a podcast one. I had my personal one. I had my tell me a story ones. And then I had this like burner Instagram. So I deleted them all and they make it very hard to do it and like to keep it, but I did it and I was free. I felt free. I was like, I uh, like the people that I actually want to speak like see and spend time with, I will still be able to find them. People can find me. I'm very Googleable. Actually, like the local post office last week, there was a package for me and I had put the address wrong and and I went in there to check. And she's like, I don't know how we'll find it if you like didn't put your PO box number. And I was like so upset because I like screwed up. She Googled, she saw the package and she didn't remember my name. She Googled the name and was like, oh, it's her. And she called me and was like, I have your package. So like, I, she like had my, I guess she had my number because I have a PO box there. I don't think my number was online. But anyway, so like I'm Googleable. There, if there are people I know I want to reach out to, I can get to them. Like there was a friend of mine that owns a restaurant, Crybaby Pasta. And I got in takeout from there and I didn't have her email address, but I like got it through a series of like asking friends. So like I reached out, I like got her new email address and was like, I loved Crybaby Pasta. Um, all that. So I haven't missed it at all. And then the weird thing is, and I can't attribute this just to not being on social media because I also don't want anyone listening to be like, if I quit social media, my business will grow. But my business grew. <laughs> like and I know it was time. It was like I had all of my like, you know, beyond the venue container for my business set up. But I I think it was how I was choosing to to put myself out there changed. I was like, I want to go on podcasts. I want to do more speaking engagements. I want to 
like do that. And so then I realized like, I don't actually, I never got business from social media. And I know it's different. Like, I feel like you have a company that is like very visual. <laughs> like I don't have a visual company. So I feel like fortunate in that. And I know like my boyfriend gets all of his business from Instagram. He does home renovations. Then people look at his renovations and that's how they contact him. So, but for me, letting go somehow just gave me a way to channel and focus how I was marketing myself and how I was communicating myself differently. And it just so happened that it like worked. And I know that it's like always an experiment and that there's so many factors that made that possible. But I'm really glad that it made it possible because it didn't, I don't have FOMO. This is the longest answer to answer your question. I don't have FOMO. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Cause I, I, I need to stop like, you know, before a podcast, I should be, you know, centering myself and focusing and, um, instead of watching YouTube videos on how to make a reel and just wanting to, you know, rip a book in half because <laughs> it's, you know, cause they kind of start out of saying, okay, we're going to explain this to you, but this could change next week. So, you know, NBD and it's just been such a frustrating process. And it, it took me so long just to do my first like Instagram story. Like, I don't think I did that until 2019. And now, now they talk about his video and it's, uh, it just makes my brain explode. But so speaking of like centering yourself, you know, you're constantly like performing, you know, kind of on a proverbial stage. <laughs> um, what do you do to ground yourself, center yourself, you know, any sort of like kind of self-care, how, how do you prepare or how do you walk away? You know, what are, what are some kind of tips and tricks that, that you implement to really kind of, you know, be mm. the best Hillary Ray you can be? <laughs> yeah. So I've had like, oh, like since college, like battling stage fright, which now it lasts for two seconds and it goes away, which I'm very grateful, but that was not always the case, but I'm just like a general worrier too. So I can, I can get nervous or I could start thinking of outcomes or, you know, future. I forgot there's a term for that, like future. No, I like, I but. unfortunately have the problem of like a worst case scenario that yeah. I will panic and think something is terribly wrong yeah. and just internalize all of that. So mm -hmm. And I remember like when I first started telling stories from my life on stage, like I remember uh, one of the venues that I would go to a lot was Latage, which mm -hmm. was like above a crepe shop. I don't think it's still there, but um, it was like a little cabaret space. And I just remember they had really nice bathrooms. I would like pee six or I'd go because I thought I had to pee like six times before the show would even start. And then while I was in there, I would like sometimes pee, but I'd like have my notebook and I'd be like going through everything and like being like, I'm going to forget it all. But it's like, I talk about things that happen to me, so I can't forget it. <laughs> Even if it's not the way that I want, like that my dream way of saying it, like I just got myself worked up there. So like, and then I just worried about a lot of things. So I started meditating like in 2016. I can't remember. There was one year where I was like, I'm going to meditate for 365 days in a row. Cause I go, <laughs> when I want to do something, I just go to the extreme and I did it. I just, I used headspace. And I didn't miss a day. And I didn't even start like right on Jan 1. I think I even started like December of the year before. And I went to like, I went through all the full year. So more than 365 days. But really what it was, was habit building. And like, sometimes I would just do five minutes or like, sometimes I would do longer. 
And then I noticed how much I, it helped me be present and that being present helped me stop worrying about outcomes and things like whether I was performing or telling stories, communicating, public speaking, or just in life. And so I carried through that practice and like, I don't matter. I meditated right before this because that's like how I get ready for this kind of thing, like podcast interviews and stuff. Um, but I don't do it every day, but I use this woman, Jessica Snow, who has a website called youaremagicla.com. And uh, she has a streaming service that she made herself. So it's on app. It's a little like user experience wise, it's a little clunky, but it's worth it because they're like beautiful audio meditations. And so I do that. I use her. And then like through the work I do, tell me a story. And I know you have this because it was given to you as part of our work together. Is like, I have a checklist, like a public speaking checklist. And I, and to me, public speaking is anytime I'm speaking, like this is public speaking. Like anytime I'm speaking to one or more people that isn't like a friend or family member. Um, and I'll go through it. And it's like, I don't know if I can remember them all off the top of my head, but it's like, I prepped. Oh, I prepped. what do I have right here oh, in my, yeah. my little... My little box of note cards that I use, yes. um, my public speaking checklist. Oh my gosh. It's so exciting. So wait, it's I prepped, I practiced. I prepared in advance. Oh, I prepared in advance. I practiced. I timed myself. I warmed up my voice. I hydrated. I let it. I, let I grounded myself. Oh, I grounded myself, which is what I just talked about. I let it all go in the moment. And then I thanked myself for a job all done, which is the one after. So I do. quote at the bottom. There can be oh. no joy of trust without the risk of vulnerability, letting your true self show and experiencing others catching you, mirroring you, liking you, and letting you go when you are all there, visible, open. Nora Samaran. Samaran, yeah. Yeah, because to me... This like changed everything for me too, that it's like, it is a partnership, like speaker and audience, whether podcast or live, like in person. And so, and that's actually what I can channel when it is virtual. It's like, there's still an exchange or the energy is still there. So I really spent a lot of time on that. I grounded myself. Like I didn't warm up my voice today. <laughs> I also like <laughs> drank a lot of coffee this morning, more than water. Um, but I grounded myself. So I do meditation, but like, even just like feeling your feet on the floor, like one breath. I always ask the people I work with, like, what does I grounded myself mean to you? And then they'll like, tell me like what it means. And then uh, I let it all go in the moment. So that's that like you said, like less prep, more present, like trusting yourself. Like it's trusting that you prepped and like you did, like you prep behind the scenes to everyone listening. Like your prep for this podcast is like impeccable and like more people should do it the way that you do it. Um, but uh, like trusting that and like trusting that then it's like time to like live in the present and like let new things come in if they want to come in. And, but that you also like have the prep that you did to support you. And then the, I thank your, thank myself for a job well done is that like to not let that like inner critic voice enter too soon after because again it's like your memory is changing actually truthfully of what happened and so like gratitude to yourself is so important so I use that for everything really um even if I don't have the card in front of me <laughs> but it is like nice to to check them off but I would say like the big ones for me is like a meditation practice and I do like visualization meditations with somebody giving me the visualization audio and then the letting it go and the like trust stuff. Well, one of the last things I, I wanted to make sure you got to highlight, you have been doing these monthly zoom workshops 
um, on, on Wednesdays once a month. Can you tell me a little bit more about those, those programs? Yeah. So another cool thing that's happened in this, like being forced to go beyond the venue is like, even when we started working together, I had like a bunch of different service offerings. And like, that's why we started with the brainstorming and we moved into what's called the solo retreat. And now I just have this solo retreat. And then I work with some clients for six months after, like when it makes sense to. Um, so now the brainstorming is like in the solo retreat and it just happens. And that was like very freeing to be like, oh, I have this like one thing that people can do and I love it and they love it. It's great. But I also really miss, like I'm not doing the Tell Me a Story live show anymore. We did two virtual shows like early in the pandemic. I just like, my heart was just not in it. My heart had sort of been like falling in and out of love with the show for a while. Cause I was so like focused on the, my teaching and my trainings and stuff. And I um, got in right at the end. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was able to go to, I think just one or two in-person shows. January one. Yeah, yeah. One or one or two in-person shows at Shaw Tower before yeah. the lockdown. Um, but that's where I met Cecily who was oh, on yeah. season one. Um, so yeah. thank you again for, for introducing us. Yeah. And it was really special. And like, I, there is like videos of some of them and they're still on YouTube and stuff, but, um, I missed like doing an event. I like, like hosting things. And so I started this thing called the speak up session. I actually started it at the end of 2020. Kind of, it was a, a weird experiment that like the format just didn't work. And I was like charging for it. And it was just like, it was weird. Um, but in starting in February of 2021, I like, it's like a free monthly gathering, virtual gathering. And it was like the idea of like coming together to talk about speaking up and like, where people's challenges are and like how storytelling can like really help people move through those challenges. And so it's like part of my like marketing that I do as well, but it's so much more than that. Like it's so cool because some people come back like multiple times and then there's always new people and they're always cool. And I'm like, I've never met you, but you found this great. And that's cool. And then what I've been doing since April is that I've people that I work with, I always, it's never like you have to tell your story at the speak up session. Um, but I've been offering that to people, especially people that are like, okay, I did all this work, but all right, the story is just staying with me. And I was like, no, the story is not staying with you. You want to share it with other people. Here's a group of people to share it with. Here's an audience. Yeah. Yeah. So it sort of became like a mini tell me a story, but we do like a VH1 behind the music once each person tells their story. And we like talk about process, kind of like how you and I were talking about your experience. And then there's like a Q&A kind of thing where people like just some people submit questions in advance and have like a specific challenge and I like spotlight them. So we're both on the zoom together and like do like a little coaching. So it's really fun. And I like do all the like tech. I like let people in and like play music. And like, at first I was like, this is a lot. I need someone to help. But actually now I find like, it, it's very easy. I finally also just got like a monitor and my laptop. So the one that was last week, <laughs> I could see everyone and see my notes. It was like the most brilliant thing. And I know people have already figured that out with their home office setups, but I hadn't. And I was like, this is great. It's, that's definitely a different experience for everybody. Cause I like, yeah. definitely the seeing the, the transition of, uh, like yoga studios, um, and uh -huh. how they like, that's how like my one yoga teacher that I'll practice with virtually on Friday mornings, seeing her kind of like shift and figure out like what the best way. So she's got her whole, you know, TV set up so she can see all of us, yeah. you know, Brady Bunch style as she calls it and be able to face, you know, her the camera camera. And so she's teaching the class, but can also kind of look up to see how we're all doing with our dogs and cats crawling all over us. Yeah. Um, and downward facing dog. 
Um, it's crazy. I also just got like a webcam, which I think is so funny that they're still, I don't know, webcam just sounds like very 90s. Like when I lived in Japan, computers didn't have- Did it come with a free pager? Like- <laughs> yeah, that's what it feels like. Because like I remember I had to buy a webcam in Japan because I couldn't see anyone on my phone or my computer because it was before iPhones and and when computers had built-ins and I like couldn't figure out how to work. So I just didn't see anybody for a year, like visually. I just like, talked on the phone and wrote letters. But um, anyway, so- yeah. So the tech setup was like challenging for me at first, but now it feels like a part of this. Like it feels like my hosting, like the same way I would host and set up the tech at Shaw Tower. Cause I like had a mic that I kept there and a little speaker and it was always just in the basement. And I actually, for a while, I like, carried it every single time. And then finally I was like, can I just keep this here? <laughs> I don't use it for anything else. So I would like set up the tech and like do, I like doing all that stuff, like welcome people in. Like I do all that stuff with this monthly virtual event called the speak up session. So yeah, I love it. And I'm continuing, like, it's definitely through, like, by the time this comes out, it will still be happening. And I like plan to keep it up. Um, for next because year. even though you're like your household's fully vaccinated, but I know you've been, um, super cautious and yeah. I, you know, I can't blame you now. <laughs> yeah. It's, I'm not going It's going to be, it's going to be a rough, rough couple of months for mm. sure. So, um, well, I know you're not currently really visiting any venues, but, um, I know you have to have some fond memories of a venue from the before time. So, you know, Hillary, what's your, what's your favorite venue? Yeah. So I thought about this question. I've like, I listened to your show and I love how people answer this. So it totally it, ranges. It's yeah. all over the place. So I have like a, I have a bunch because I'm very like I am, <laughs> my background. I'm going only going to share one. Like I, my background is theater. Like my whole childhood, I did theater. Like I'm trained in theater. It's my favorite place to be as an audience member. Like here, I am super cautious, but like as soon as I can see a Broadway show, I'm gonna like wear a mask, show my vaccine card, get a COVID test right before, get a COVID test right after. Like. I'm we there. were actually supposed to see Wicked when we go to <gasps> Dallas, and yeah. I told my dad, "You you got to get a refund because I they're not doing proof of vax at oh, the theater. Yeah, it's no. just mask requirement, and I am not very trusting of <laughs> anyone. No, I'm so. doing yeah, vax card only, yeah. mask only. But anyway, yep. so that's my background. So my favorite venue, and I was thinking like Philadelphia specifically because I'm like a I was born and raised, or not born, I was born in California, but <laughs> moved here to Philadelphia when I was like eight weeks old. Um, so I grew up in Philadelphia. I moved away for like eight years and then I came back and I've been here for like 14 or a really long time. So it is clearly the place where my roots are. Um, so my favorite venue is Plays and Players Theater, which is on Delancey Street between 17th and 18th. And so here's the thing my very first memories of Plays and Players is like, they had this second floor and I'll talk about like all the different things that are on the second floor, but there was like one sort of rehearsal room, multi-purpose room area. Um, and they rented it out for birthday parties. So I remember being invited there to go to birthday parties and you walk through the main part of the theater. And it's like this very ornate, like it actually, they have a sign up. There's like all these tiles and a lot of them look like swastikas, but it's the native American, um, symbol where it's like, they're not going the same direction as a swastika, but, um, but it can be very jarring. And so they have this like historical, it's a historical building. So they have like a historical sign of like what they are, but there's, it's just like this beautiful and I, it's kind of run down. I don't know what it's like now. It's been in different stages of disrepair, but I did 
my like first children's theater show there. I was Veruca Salt and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Amazing. And then I was the Velveteen Rabbit, like a couple years later in the Velveteen Rabbit. And so I like really found my like acting there. But then the weirdest thing happened. There's so there's also like a bar called Quigs that's in this theater that was like a member. You had to have like a membership card because it was like open until like six in the morning. It was very smoky. It was mostly for theater people, but then they just kind of started letting other people like have a membership. So when I returned to Philadelphia, I was like working for a bunch of different theater companies like the Arden and 1812 Productions and um, at the Kimmel Center for a little bit. But anyway, that was like the, the bar was like the theater hangout. So I would do that. And then the other cool thing that was happening is like 1812 Productions, which is a comedy theater company that I've worked with in Philadelphia on and off for the last like 14 years. They did all their shows on the main stage. And so I, when I started working for them, I was a box office person. So I did box office there. I was a house manager. So I was the one like responsible for letting people into plays and players. I remember they have like, it's not really accessible. And so I remember having to like carry this woman down the stairs to go to the bathroom, like all this stuff. So I did that. And then I assistant directed a show with 1812. So I was there in that capacity. And then I performed there with 1812 for a tribute to Joan Rivers. And so I did all that with this theater company that I really believe in. But then, so I talked about Rashomon and that live, the first live show that gave me the idea for the podcast. That was at Plays and Players on the second floor because they had turned that birthday room into a black box theater that was being rented out to comedy and other things. And so the people that eventually started Good Good Comedy were renting that space out to do $5 Comedy Week. So that's where Rashomon happened and the podcast was born. And then I also had another storytelling show that I did for a little while in the bar in the Quigs part called Fibber, where you had to guess whose story was made up. It was super fun. So this, oh, and there's a ghost there named Maud. And when I was house manager, I have witnesses to this. A frame dropped on my head and there was like nobody around and no movement. Um, the fire alarms were going off. There was like this old timey switchboard and it was like sparking, like all these things. And people were like, it's Maud. And I was like, probably, I probably did something to Maud when I was like in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Who knows? Um, so anyway, I have this like, like lifelong history at this like weird theater <laughs> that's like in center city on a residential block. Um, but like at key moments in my life, the whole time, like it has like been there for me. That's amazing. Wow. That is quite the story. Yeah. Um, I'll have to, I'll have to look it up and see what its current status is right now. I'm very curious. Yeah. About it, I walked that's, by, that's amazing. yeah, I don't know if any theater companies are doing, cause it's like a, you know, there's like some theaters that were consistently doing shows there and then the French festival used it a lot. Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, it's still there. I like, I've walked down that street, like going on my walks <laughs> that I go on, but yeah, hopefully it will like in some capacity open back up. Well, I know we've already talked about, you're not really on social media per se, but um, how would you like our listeners to find mm. you or follow you? Well, you go to tellmeastory.info. So it's yeah. Tell me a story, all one word dot I N F O. And you can actually get that public speaking checklist. I'm just thinking this now right there. Like when you go on, like, 10 seconds to being on the page, like a pop-up will be like, get this checklist. Or if you go to the footer, it's there and you can put your email in. So you can get your own public speaking checklist if you want. Um, and then that's- I definitely recommend signing up for Hillary's newsletter. Yeah. I, I really enjoy your newsletters because it's always, it's a story. Like it's always a story. It's always, you know, you talk about 
you know, there's always going to be probably one person in the audience that's going to relate to exactly what you're saying. And I feel mm-hmm. like pretty much 90% of your stories I always relate yeah. to. <laughs> but that happens to anybody. That's what's so cool about storytelling. And what I love, like seeing people discover is like, even if your experience is so unique to you, someone's going to relate to it on some level. Um, but yeah, so the newsletter, if you get the checklist, you'll get on the newsletter. Um, and then the speak up session, that's also everything's on the website. Like you can sign up for the speak up sessions there. And I'm, you can Google me to contact me like my wonderful Kim at the Southwark post office did. <laughs> well, Hillary, I'm so glad we finally were able to make this work and you were able to join me for season two of Beyond the Venue podcast. Yeah, You've I'm done so an amazing job with the... That that curse word pivot. <laughs> but can you, I say like two things about you that I like really admire about? Yeah, I don't you? have like, a problem with that. that okay, it sounds absolutely wonderful to me. Please. And this, so it goes back to social media too. Of like, so when we were working together, you were like getting story ideas for for Instagram and stuff. And what you did, which I thought was so cool, is you would send me the image and you would send me the caption, and like sometimes before you posted, sometimes after. Um. And I loved that because I felt like I could actually help you more because I didn't have to worry about like algorithm and the where, when you have to post or what tags you need, but I could really help with the story and giving feedback there and like seeing the connections to the images. And I know that that's something you have continued to do and like have shared as friends, like, look, I made this post and you were the first person to do it, but other people have done that as well. Like while I'm working with them and even after, I have a client, Andrea, and she actually just made a reel about hating reels and she sent it to me. And I was like, I don't even know what a reel is, but I get it now, like from your thing. And was having the same kind of struggle as you described too of like, what is this thing? And this is the only thing that's showing people my content, all that. So it still happens. And so I really love like people that do use social media. It's like, yeah, of course, there's things that like, they want you to do, but you could also do whatever you want. And I think that that's really exciting. And you do that. And I think it's like, it shows and it's, yeah, it's just really cool. And, and then you had shared uh, that piece of advice too, of just um, like post what you want, you know, kind of <laughs> don't overthink it and as a yeah. classic overthinker. It's helpful to, to get that advice. Yeah. And then it was like such a cool thing to witness all of a sudden, like it wasn't all of a sudden, cause it was clearly like over time, but you just like get to this point where you're like, yeah, I want a podcast. Like, <laughs> this is great. I love talking to people and like sharing and connecting. And it was like seeing you get to that place. It's like so cool. And I love your podcast. And it's so cool. And the people like the way you interview and the people you bring on. So I just had to say those things, too, that it's been like it's cool to know you in all of these different layers of like friend, neighbor, client, colleague, like all of that to like see the journey beyond the venue for you. I love it. So Hillary Ray is officially the spokeswoman for Beyond <laughs> the Venue podcast and uh, MG the Venue Specialist. You're hired. Yes. Well, listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, check out Beyond the Venue podcast on Instagram. We do continuously post on the Instagram. And Hillary, thanks again. We'll see thank you, you soon. Yeah.